Ciao beautiful soul, this is Claire and the Art of Life podcast and this is the series around what the fuck is art even for <laughs> and what's it about eh and I'm going to talk here about why be an artist and I've already got tangled up in two versions of this podcast and it is a difficult thing to unravel but I'm going to try and speak as succinctly as I usually do about things but also in a very fluid and spontaneous and emotional way about about where I come from as an artist and and why I am an artist but I'm also not an artist I'm really a co-creator and that is a really important distinction Um, but I want to try and talk at least about the sort of concept of artist and why I chose that and why other people might choose it and what the art world is really trying to project and and diminish in a in a divine co-creator that we all are when it calls someone an artist like what is the label for a start it has ist in it which is always a, a warning sign to me of oh no I don't want to be labeled as anything ist and I, I used to say that a lot when I was younger and point out that you know I'm not a feminist I'm not this ist I'm not a nationalist or a Scottish nationalist and but I love this land and want to protect it and want to be able to live freely here and I love my creative work and I want to be able to live as a creative and earn a living and and subsist and I don't want to be I don't necessarily want a job job or any kind of job um but I certainly want to be able to subsist in the world but I I absolutely need to be free like there's no way I can ever agree even after a few, a couple of years of high school where we came out the village and had to go, you know, it's very different from primary school with a very small handful of children in a big sandstone building with the beach right in front of it and the hills directly behind it and lots of playtime and and lots of free time creating actually, which I, I hadn't really thought about before, but I, I just realised that actually the end of my primary school and the end of my high school I was given free reign in, in both of those for at least a year, if not maybe a year and a half or maybe two years even. I was given completely free reign to to do my own studies. And it, it's really funny that that happened. I never really, like I just th- sort of thought that was a consequence of because the teacher was busy with the younger kids when I was at primary school, we were all taught in one room because it was such a wee school. But in high school too, I, I I got into that position maybe by sort of manoeuvring because I, most of my study hours were in the art block anyway. And by that time, I was on a, a path to creating a portfolio for art school. So in my last year at high school, certainly. But I think before that, we were given free reign of the art block because we were essentially responsible adults already. And, and it was... It was um, entrusted to us that we would make good use of it and that we would come out of it at the end with an acceptance letter from the art school um but yeah I really wanted to speak to like where the the decision comes from I I, I came from a, a a very particular path in my education because of the kind of schools that I went to on the island but there was a lot that I was really pushing against and that I really did not submit to at high school including really horrible PE classes, physical education classes, and and the kind of presumption of authority that the, the teachers and the head teacher and the, the vice head teacher and so on were trying to 
get us to into submission to um and whereas other people took more classic choices of things with more defined or not so much just the defined label and title but also a defined trajectory I was very clear as soon as I was choosing my subjects that I would choose all the subjects that left the trajectory most open and most in my autonomy and in my that I would be learning myself that was absolutely essential to me and yeah it's really funny to think back and see how everything joins up and makes sense I spent a lot of time in my life trying to make sense of my life and the path that I'd been on and trying to give it value because the conventional art world certainly and the conventional world were not giving it value they weren't rewarding me for what I'd done and learned and studied and achieved I was consistently being pushed further and further out right to the point of the last few years when I was literally a leper and <laughs> and a witch and pushed right out to the very edges of things and I don't even show my art publicly anymore so yeah the labels that I was trying to get away from in the end the label of artist really has not been a useful label for me and the the process I've been going through in the last few years in particular with the crumbling of reality and the recognition of what our what my true nature is and what our true nature is and the nature of co-creation I've definitely moved very much away also from holding this term because the term artist I always saw as a, a label or a badge of freedom you know the artistic license the eccentricity the speaking up and saying whatever your opinion is at any point the being very expressive but really at the end of the day I realized there was something that that really wasn't sitting well with it and it's not just the term but the fact that there's such projection onto what I am as an artist that I did not sign up for I never signed up for the conventional projection of what I should be doing as an artist or how I should be available to the community as an artist or the kind of uh, available availability to commissions. Um, so throughout my career as an artist and I've had a discipline, f you know, I've been creative basically since I had hands and I've always been working with the land and constructing things out of natural materials and making dens, shelters, dolls' clothes, my own shoes, my own clothes, dresses, skirts, from a very young age, a really, really young age, from as soon as I could pick up a big darning needle and piece of um, thick wool and make holes in a piece of fabric, I was pretty making some pretty gnarly-looking skirts <laughs> that my family were pretty embarrassed about me clumping about in. And, yeah, I was dressing myself from an early age being very expressive so really when it when it came to high school and choosing subjects it was a no-brainer that I was, there was no way I was going to fit into something that was you know somebody prescribing things for me and I'd already cottoned on to intuitively instinctively my wild self was very aware that this was all about submission and all about getting us to to just do as we're told for doing what you're told sake and I absolutely could not could not submit to that, could never submit to that. Um so
right from there, when there was like a supposed choice, which of course there's no choice at all, you know, we're given boxes and lists of subjects and wait a minute, why are, why are all my subjects that I want to do all in one column? I want to do all of those. I don't want to do ones from the other boxes. And, you know, right at that point, it was really clear, like, they don't want me to be creative. They, if I'm allowed to choose, I'm allowed to choose, choose two subjects from languages and, uh, or three subjects from languages and art, but then I have to have a science and a this and a that. I was absolutely fuming about it. In fact, I, I purposefully failed my physics um, exam at the end. And Mr. Watt, bless him, do you remember his wee shining face? coming to me later on saying oh Claire look I've got you a pass because you you passed your prelim the initial you know we do a, a test test a, a pre-exam test in the spring and then do the actual exams in the summer and his wee face was so happy for me and I was like oh I was determined to not pass physics just to prove that I didn't want to do physics it was the one thing that I really really tried to not pass and you know, thankfully, I had a really great relationship with my beautiful teacher, Maureen Farkerson, and in the art block, which was separate from the school and had this lovely autonomous feel about it. And we were given the free run of the place. Um, so even though I had had to, in inverted commas, do another couple of subjects, I was already very clear that I would just do what I want. In fact, I had such a strong sense of autonomy at that time that I remember walking out of and it wasn't my last exam, I think it was the second last exam, and I remember walking out of the second last exam in the middle of it, like, looking around myself and going, seeing everyone's faces all screwed up and the stress and people sweating and somebody had vomited, like, the stress of it, of doing, it, like, the schooling and the exams was horrific, it was horrendous, and look, we're in our mid-teens, this really sensitive time where we should be honing our sentience and our creativity and expressing ourselves and instead we're like being forced into these regimented tables working to a deadline being forced to answer these horrendous difficult problems and questions I remember just standing up and going I don't have to do this there's nothing stopping me from just walking out right now and I got up and walked out and then and just went straight to the the head's office went and got my stuff from the room our our dorm room or whatever it's called our common room and went to the head teacher and said um I'm just going to go now thank you and goodbye <laughs> and they were they were pretty like oh well I suppose I suppose so if you want to and that you know I find, I find it so interesting that nowadays there are so many presumed obligations that we have to do but really at that time it was just very clear to me that that my life was in my hands and it always had been. It was never, you know, in, in many ways I was submitting just for, just for the chance to be part of something and to feel what it was like to have structure. But I, a lot of the time I was pushing back and saying, no, 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 I'm not doing that. You can't make me to do that. You know, I, I was effectively expressing my inal inalienable rights. But at the time it, it of course, I was just a really naughty girl and I was really told off, like really reprimanded extensively by multiple teachers consistently when really all I was doing was just, well, being a creative woman, being a creative young woman. And 
being intelligent about questioning the authority, being intelligent about giving responses to their demands and not submitting to their their demands. And um, again, coming back to like when I was first choosing my subjects, I remember thinking the one thing that I knew already was that I ab- absolutely was not going to have another bunch of years of that kind of shit. <laughs> there was no way I was going to do that. And I, in my heart, in my, you know, when really asking myself what I wanted to do, you know, I wanted to do languages and writing and drawing and painting and, and making things. I, I also wanted to build buildings. I wanted to build my own house. I'd already made dens with turf roofs on and chimneys and I really loved constructing things, but there was no way I was going to go into engineering or even architecture. And I loved technical drawing. Oh my God, I loved it with a passion. But I wanted to do it my way. I wanted to do sacred geometry and organic forms. And I didn't want to learn about how you draw a line because somebody says you have to draw it in this way. I didn't want to learn that. I certainly wasn't going to do more of that. You know, I'd done enough of that just to pass exams, but there was no way I was going to do more of that. So the first time we chose our exams for our O grades, which would be about the age of 12 or so, 14, 13, 14 maybe. And then again, choosing my higher grades later on and my six-year studies, I just chose the freedom that, even though I wouldn't be getting it through these particular subjects, I was choosing the freedom that was beyond these subjects. And I was simply choosing the subjects that, for me, I could interpret as absolute freedom. I knew that I would have to be outside. I knew that school was already doing my head in and making me ill from keeping me inside all the time and giving me sore hips and a sore bum sitting down all day. I knew that I hated the politics of kids and how the kids were already being like, put against each other and girls and boys against each other and kids against teachers and everything. It was just like a fucking war zone, man. And it was it was horrendous. And teachers were all having nervous breakdowns because they couldn't contain us and they couldn't get us to submit. And, you know, we were, we were a bunch of kids from farms and mountainsides and beaches and wee tiny clachans. And there's it's just comical. It is comical to think that they could just put us in a uniform and put, send us to school and put us into a building that we would suddenly not be feral or indigenous anymore. <clears throat> anyway, yeah, making making the choice about an education was it was an it was a no-brainer. But at the same time, when I did make the choice and when I did go into art and into the arts, <clears throat> it was it was terribly, terribly disappointing for me. Like just excuse me, even talking about it now, it's really upsetting how disappointing it was for me because I was literally like Pinocchio or somebody or a little kid out of a story going off to the city, you know, where the streets are paved with gold, you know, blooming Dick Whittington or Puss in Boots or whatever. I don't know who Dick Whittington is. I don't know why I said that. I was just linking that with the name Puss in Boots. Anyway, whatever it was, the, the myths and the stories and the fables I'd read, you know, I just assumed I would have to go to the city and it wasn't really a, an option to do anything else. And then once I was in the art school, I was trying to see it through, but it was horrendously disappointing, almost from day one, the nature of the, the way we were being spoken to, the nature of what we were being told, that we're, how we were going to be educated. I just, I 
even the other students, I was really like, why are people not more like me? Why are they not more wild and free and wanting to be wild and free? And then suddenly before I knew it, I was sort of in this space of the machine, the machine, the freaking agenda and everything being about detached ideas. And and that's when, you know, the label artist that I thought would give me absolute freedom instead was just giving me this really banal, dry, conceptual nonsense that was nothing to do with the art that I was experiencing. I'd, I'd known from an early age that the freedom that I was seeking was somehow related, it was related to nature and wild nature and the truth of nature. And it was also related to seasons and cycles, but it was also related to the space that I got into and the energetics and the alignment that I got into when I was sitting drawing for long, long periods on my own in my room, in my bedroom, in this sanctuary that I had out of the chaos of my family, the chaos of my family not getting on and the chaos of school, like even getting away from the main part of the school and sitting in the art block and painting for hours and end and drawing and looking at art and books and reading about artists' lives. I knew that, you know, if there was a label that I had to put on myself, it would be that, it would be an artist. But it really isn't until recent years that I've seen how, you know, this idea that we have to be in a specialisation and that the specialisation should be so rigidly, you know, you can only be this thing and you can only be a painter. A, a truly creative and free human being will be creative with their hands in lots of ways, just in the same way that it's, People who know more than one language tend to know a lot of languages because it naturally leads to an interest in more languages and it leads to an expansiveness. In the same way, somebody who really goes into their art freely and, and wildly and truly and doesn't go into, you know, under the cover of an agent or a, a gallery or rich patrons or people asking them to do commissions... You know, somebody who holds true to themselves will naturally get on an expansive path and somebody who finds their own way in their art naturally will branch out into the other things or be doing other things simultaneously because and finding the art of their life because that is the nature of creativity. It's expansive, abundant, um, wild and free, um, indigenous and free. It's a human being deeply, deeply rooted not just down but up and reaching up into the heavens and reaching up into the universe and functioning as a bridge between heaven and earth essentially and yeah that's obviously not going to have a job title the the system doesn't want us doing that <laughs> and the system certainly wants us to do just to churn things out and sell stuff and that's unfortunately a little treadmill that I got stuck on, a little merry-go-round that I got stuck on for many years as an artist, even though I was still, relatively speaking, very free. I've never, um, apart from a handful of commissions I've done in my life, which I've wanted to do and I've enjoyed and have been free for me. I've, I've kind of always done commissions in my own style and not submitted to somebody else's demands around no it has to look like this or be in this and and I want to change this I've I've mostly erred away from um allowing someone else to guide my my hand my actual hand 
And again, that that is really, really important because as soon as we're up in our head, as soon as we're making something contrived or stylized in a particular way, like in a a forced hand that the mind is telling to go in a certain way, it becomes something different. It becomes something manufactured and different from what it is when it's just allowed to come into being itself. And that limitation by the label, <clears throat> by the projection onto us of what's expected from us when we have a label, is is re- it's really important to recognise that like, I've never really... I've never submitted to the projection. I've always sort of sidestepped it and avoided getting involved with it and and like spoken up to gallery owners or people who are making really snobby, excuse me, snobby remarks about my art or trying to pull me into, oh, you know, you should sell to this important person because he will give you exposure and he will, um, whatever the story is, you know, I'm not even interested. I'm not going to sell my paintings for a really cheap price to somebody who's got loads of money, that's a nonsense. You know, if, they, if a rich person wants to buy my work, they can pay a good price for it, but I'm not going to sell my Halo of Thoughts painting for 100 euros. That's just absolute bollocks. Um, anyway, the point being, um, that expansiveness that I was always seeking, I found ways of being expansive in all the different contexts that I've lived in you know, in London and even working in a conventional institutional art gallery, the National Art Gallery systems in London and wearing a uniform, even then it was a meditation. It was a chance to be around the art. It was a chance to actually be physically spending time with famous art and well-known art and beautiful art, important art. And to have a purity of my relationship with it Yes, technically I was there guarding the paintings and technically I was watching out for folk poking with them with umbrellas and whatever, but there was a freedom in it too. And at the end of the day, I, I got money in my hand for it, which was, you know, it didn't seem, it wasn't the best payoff, but the the actual payoff of being next to the art and getting direct transmission from the art was very powerful. And although I didn't last long in that job, you know, a, a year or so or a few months, um, over a year, it nevertheless, that, just kept me in that freedom even though I was living in the city the art was transmitting freedom and even though the artists had had difficult lives for good reason the nevertheless the energy comes out of the artwork and and even though it's very manipulated what we see in art galleries and how it's even kept in an art gallery in a very formal and dry atmosphere and only for certain people to go in and see it and where you're often there's not even seats so you can't even sit down and enjoy it for a long time which is art is meant to be absorbed over long periods of time you know the majority of people would come into an art gallery and look at a painting for maximum a few seconds and then move on to the next one because they're in a city and they're busy and there's crowds and everyone's moving at a certain pace and there's no sitting down and enjoying yourself (laughs) and relaxing everything's just like ticking along um but yet even when I've been living barefoot in the Mediterranean like in my years in Cyprus I've always you know done the minimum that I would have to do in order to subsist and earn a few dollars so that I would be able to just keep painting and be free and and not having to get under 
you know, the, the maximum, that, that one job I did once, which was the art gallery attendant, the, where I had to take out my nose ring and um, grow my hair in. <laughs> my shaved sides and back of my head had to grow that in and not have a sort of pigtail Mohican type thing. <laughs> and that, and wear a white shirt, that was enough for me. Even the, like the engaging in that job where I, at the beginning of the job, like we were absolutely barely getting by each month in London. It was so expensive. And I used to say that even just walking up the street would be, you'd have to spend £10 just walking up the street because you, you would get all stressed and need to sit down and have a cup of tea or in a bar and it would be really expensive and you need something to eat and that would that'd be really expensive. And, you know, by the end of it, you get a sandwich and then it's like £10. It's probably twenty pounds now or fifty pounds now for to, just to walk up the street um, and to subsist and keep yourself alive in a big city. But you know, even then, when I first did this first job that I ever did, even though it was in an art gallery, even though it did have this positive aspect to it, that was really, you know, I was really moved by the art, by many of the paintings that came through, like the the Prince Horn collection that I I stood in for. Um, where I got to stand, look really closely at all these incredibly detailed work by so-called mad patients back in the day that was beautifully um, collected and taken care of and and was now being presented in a really big, important gallery, you know, to Howard Hodgkin, to Giacometti, Picassos and like all kinds of stuff that was you know just being able to sit with it it transmitted something very powerful but the payoff that I had to do to get to that and the and the the sort of benefit and privilege of getting a wage every week or month it just wasn't enough even the the first steps that I had to do of okay so you have to turn up at the gallery at this time on that day that on Monday morning and you have to bring with you, you have to buy yourself a white shirt and you have to buy yourself a, a pencil skirt and it has to be like this. We'll give you a jacket. Thank you so much. You know, like, thank you so much for helping me be a slave. And you have to wear a certain kind of tights or bare legs and a certain kind of flat shoe. And I, I was already, I didn't have any of those things. We didn't have any money, any spare money. And it was a real desperate fiddling about and borrowing and begging and going to the charity shop with our last couple of pounds like oh how am I going to be able to afford to go into work every day ah etc etc like just that and then taking my nose stud out that I loved my nose ring or my nose stud whatever was in at the time and it was really part of my my feeling of what I wanted to wear you know nose jewelry it just felt really important to me at the time and having to take that out and that closing up and having to take my earrings out and I was quite a bejeweled person at the time and, you know, having to flatten my hair down and put it in a, a sort of straight shape. I don't I don't even remember, like some silly rules that we had to jump, hoops that we had to jump through. I was already feeling like, you know, what am I doing here? You know, yes, I have to get a job. Yes, I have to pay rent. But what are we doing essentially? And after doing that for a few months, I was already really ill. I was phenomenally ill. I was getting depressed and and neurotic and and exhausted like just ridiculously tired 
all the time and I was starting to feel mentally like just my head was spinning with being in the the city and again I just knew that I had to be in the country and I knew that I had to be back to nature I knew I had to clean my body because I'd been in the city and I felt really polluted inside and out I felt dirty inside and out like just drenched with the water was dirty even with a water filter the water was disgusting and I was drinking that every day and it was just like all of it was wrong and unnatural and not good and having come from this mountainside on an island where things are about as pure as they can possibly be you know the Atlantic swell cleaning the beaches and the air coming off the Atlantic where it's come all the way around the world and it, it's clean you know it's clean air um it was it was really something to live in a big metropolis like that and and feel what I was absorbing. Um, yeah, it took a long time to clean that out my system. Anyway, lived in London for a couple of years, but I broke that up in the middle by going and living out in Cheshire, and not having much time to be creative because I was working on the land there and doing various other jobs to earn money too. But nevertheless, still keeping that thread of of freedom. And of knowing that I was going to keep going in that direction. And I actually chose, I chose a spiritual path and a healthy path before I chose really being an artist once I was out of the city and out of, you know, my my barely scrabbling to stay alive. Um, and the, through following my spirituality and the land and the coming back to the land and organic food and coming back to just working within seasons and then visiting Fintorn and, and ending up settling there and so on, everything just kind of kept coming back, back, back to, to what I'd grown up with and my natural state. And then through that, my art came from that. My art came from that place. When I was in London, I... I did a fair bit of figurative work and some portraiture and I exhibited a little, but I, already I was feeling like this just isn't, it isn't working for me. And I know that the galleries won't want my work. I just know they won't because it's too felt. It's too, it's, there's too much feeling in it. And that's just my nature. And that's my, that's what it's always going to be. And um, the idea, the kind of ideas that I was immersed in and not because I was, putting them in my head but because my the immersion of my whole body was these ideas I wasn't looking for ideas outside of myself I was always self-motivated and self-inspired as it were and inspired directly from nature but painting from my own nature and that was already at, at the end of art school that at the beginning of art school that was quite clear but at the end of it was much much more clearer um and then living in the city, it was even more clear. And then working on the land, it was more clear. And just from there, you know, I started hopping about from place to place and moving around a lot and living in Cyprus and then coming back and living in the city again, but in a much smaller city this time and living out in the outskirts of it and, and sort of not squatting, but hanging out in friends' floors for a while and eventually getting a council flat and so on. Um, it was It was quite a long path to really get to being fully comfortable with myself and fully prolific and fully engaged with art as a as a practice because it was so confusing to me what the commodification of art was and you know that took me back to when my 
guidance teacher got us to fill out a sort of questionnaire again boxes and ticking boxes and filling in words you know word choices out of these three words what how do you describe yourself and at the in fact I think it might have even been on the computer back in the day there was like one computer in the school or something and it was like what kind of a career should you be choosing you know our career guidance career career guidance and I remember um just answering honestly answering the questions whatever they were silly questions you know questions that presume that you want to submit basically <laughs> and at the end of it all being told oh well it's you know that you know it asks you what you actually want to do and I'm like I'm going to be an artist and the the response was oh well that you're not many people can succeed as being an artist and you're not likely to earn any money doing it or you're not likely to earn much money <clears throat> and I was really put out as a 15 year old 16 year old maybe I was really put out by that and really indignant about like how dare they like what are they trying to do they're trying to get me to be a fucking journalist or something or do some job in a in an office or something what you know what what does this even mean why are you getting us to fill out these stupid questions and like I'm just going to do what I'm going to do you know and um I remember too sitting at the end of art school and being absolutely freaking terrified because I was so wound up by being in a city living in Glasgow and barely managing to subsist and living off a tiny tiny grant for high art school bursary and then in the latter years being in debt to a fucking agency because they changed the rules about um you didn't get bursaries anymore or grants for college oh criminal <clears throat> anyway remember sitting down in a bar you know happy hour and buying one pint <laughs> and chatting with my friends Gregory and John bless them gorgeous gorgeous men about like what the F are we going to do? Like, what are we going to do? How are we going to survive? We're going to die. We're going to starve. We're going to like be homeless and starve. And um, like, what are we going to do? And I remember John saying, like, just being really, not blasé about it, but being really light about it and saying, you'll just do what you do. You'll just do this thing or that thing, or you'll move around or you'll settle or you'll do it. It doesn't really matter what you'll do. You know, you'll go back to where you came from or you'll go here and have an adventure or, you know, he just, but I was like, no, John, I need to know what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And I think Gregory was about as stressed as me, but he was much more classical painter and and he did go down that road of galleries and classical painting and so on. And he was like, oh, you just get, just contact a gallery and you'll be fine, you know, just, but of course it didn't work like that for me, you know, but um, I just remember the dread of coming to the end of the the institution time and high school I'd got up and left and I was like really wow the freedom going home in the school on the school bus for the last time and knowing that I'm just gonna leave and knowing that I'd already get into art school but leaving art school and thinking holy fuck what and how on earth am I going to subsist this four years have not prepared me in any way for going out into the world as an artist we had had absolutely zero I mean zero education about business, earning a living, taxes, anything. There was absolutely nothing apart from a couple of lectures because we complained about it and were like saying like, how are we supposed to go out in the world with this education? This isn't an education. And we pulled up all the, the whole fine art department and chased them up about it. Um, 
but yeah, the, apart from a, 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 a short series of lectures by maybe five, five different artists talking about how they live and about grants and funding and stuff like that. But really, it was just too little, too late. And we were not in any position, apart from those of us who'd already been out in the world a little, for those of us who are coming through the school system, had moved to the mainland just to go to art school and then were like, it was really hard to envisage what we were going to do. Anyway, um, yeah, all the different ways I tried to cling on to security um, meant that I did keep my freedom, but I was sort of grasping all the time. And I think this is a really important aspect of like what it is to be an artist. Like most folk at the end of art school don't go to down the path of being an artist or being creative in any way. Most of them will just go and get whatever job they can which there weren't many of them around in the mid-90s. And then from there, just find maybe something a bit more creative and so on and so forth. Or they'll, like I did, I, I like clung on to my partner who'd got a, um, what's it called, a scholarship to go to the Royal College in London. I ended up like tumbling down into London with him and just because I was like clinging on to any sort of a, you know, I didn't want to finish with him. I didn't want him to go away and be down in London. I just thought, I just please, can we just stay together? And can I just come to London with you? And can we just figure it out? And yeah, like that, trying to find stability, trying to find continuity when the art world will only accept you if you're compromising in this way, if you're churning it out in that way, if you're going in under the, under the, the, under the patronage of certain people or playing certain languages, playing certain ways of being. It was it was clear to me already in Glasgow, but when I moved down to London, it was it was a it was really useful in a way that it it just gave me a cross section, a, a really good overview of, you know, I saw politicians and exhibition openings, I saw small gal small independent galleries, I saw artists who were subsisting and working part-time. And I got a really good sense of like what is culture in one of the biggest cities in the world and and that I didn't want any I didn't fit into any aspects of it. it didn't, none of it fitted for me. The, the the only thing that really fitted was a permaculture course I did and um working on the allotments. That's that was another job I did when I was in London. Um that was a wee temporary position being a, the manager of a food growing project whilst I was also studying permaculture and learning about more practically working with the land and all of those things they all started to they just started to like sort of lean me towards something I recognized that the only way to get stability and have a good income was either to be a victim and be on benefits and live off government subsidies but even that wasn't going to actually I, w I wasn't actually going to be able to subsist on that because the cost of rent and the cost of just trying to even the cost of job searching was was too much the cho the cost of just getting on the train to go to a job interview was too much I didn't it, it just was impossible to get on that train it, it, I don't mean the physical train but impossible to get on a any kind of a um comfortable rhythm because of course it wasn't about being in the comfortable rhythm it, um and 
yeah, my feral nature was absolutely wrung out by that. It was just wrung out. It was wrung out years, years later. I would have consistent burnout wherever I was living, no matter what I was doing. Even if I was working on the land, I would get a sore back. I would get worn out. I would be exhausted. I would get depressed. I would be, I would feel like I wasn't getting anywhere in my life. And yeah, I was still always creating something, painting and or working the land. And every turn, every time there was a choice, every time there was a, you know, what am I going to choose this? I just chose the open road and the wide horizon. That's that's what I chose every time. And when it got to the point where it was insufferable, when I was settled down for a certain amount of time, I found that settling down always seemed to lead to more rigidity, more tightness, struggling to pay rent. And the rhythms that I was getting into, there was never a way of getting into a natural rhythm. So it makes sense to me that I eventually, having sought the open horizon, eventually I had to still find a container and stability, but have still have a completely open horizon. Yeah, it, it makes sense that I was led somehow here. The spiritual path led me here, the the path of prayer and of knowing the way and following the way intuitively led me here. And the point at which I decided that I didn't want to be an artist anymore, like that I'm not an artist. I am an art. If anything, I'm a co-creator, but I am art. I'm not an artist. I'm not something that's like art or referring to art or talking about art. You know, it always really bothered me that, we would talk about the paintings, which to me, <laughs> that in itself was something that, that felt wrong because should we, you know, I feel the painting speaks to me about something, but it, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to go around it. I don't want to talk round the edges of it. I don't want to put a label on it or tie it down. Um, my art, that's one thing that my art has always been. It's never been about something that can be uh, put into a genre or fit with a school or be under a certain teacher or under a certain inspiration. Um, people have often asked me what I'm inspired by and I'm like, I don't need to be inspired by something externally. I've, the inspiration comes up through me. The inspiration is the work. And, and that again, you know, when I'm talking about being an artist, in my comprehension, most artists have a joy in their work, have a love of what they do, but but in order to earn a lot of money from art, by by the very nature of the economic system, the markets, and how much art one can sell, um, there has to be a certain amount of stability, continuity, and rigidity to the work, um, a certain formality of presentation, and a certain willingness to be subordinate to uh, specific structures and um, and institutions ultimately, um, including government institutions, tax collectors, um, self-employment, paperwork and so on. And although I've jumped through all of those hoops and tried out all of those things, tried on all of those suits, as it were, at the end of the day, the the container that I really needed was nothing to do with any of that and the stability I really needed was nothing to do with any of that and it never could be to do with any of that and that was the thing that the last few years really taught me that 
the freedom that I was seeking and the flow that I needed in my work, like the freedom of the body in the work, the freedom of the message in the work, couldn't possibly be contained by any institution because the nature of the institution is asking me to kneel down and asking me to be less vital and asking me to serve them and to be patronised and... Yeah, there's no mistake that the word patronising and patronage are all connected and linked and patriarchy and bowing down to a padrone, a, a boss. Um, yeah, as a as a as someone who is trying to find their identity as an artist, I feel that I've had to take apart the whole art world myself, and I've tried to live as an artist nevertheless but opposing that art world and out on the edge of the art world creating a new art world but I've realized that even that isn't possible not just because it's a really big task but because the majority of people in the world don't want art in their lives and they don't comprehend what art really is in themselves and they don't comprehend their divine co-creative nature so like we can give them hints about it by putting art in a gallery, but really you can't get art in a gallery unless you're pandering to, just by the nature of it, you don't really see art in galleries anymore. You see art in old art in galleries because art used to be art. But even that has been very carefully selected to portray a certain character, a certain trait, a certain genre, a certain um, cross-section of the community in order to conceptualise or um, caricature an artist as a specific thing and to keep artist in the realm of, and art itself, in the realm of separation, like in, the, in a realm very, very far, so far away from the hearth and the heart of people and the actual hearth of their home um, so the only art that people can afford to have in their house well like for me is to paint it yourself <laughs> and the only art that, that the average person has in their home if they have any art at all will be either graphic or or photographic art that is mass-produced or it will be a sort of perversion of art of of like a mass-produced printed version of something that has been condoned by the system, by politics, by the church and government even, by the media. Um, folk are not seeing real art much anymore. And if they are seeing real art, it's been contrived and had, it's been presented in certain contexts of formality, very tight structures and rigid um, institutions and in the heart of cities rather than the heart of our home. Real art is not being visible in our home um, unless you're my family and I gift you, gift you my art all the time or your family to artists. Um, the majority of people, art has been so priced out of, like real art has been so priced out of the conventional, the average, sorry, the average domestic scene and 
that's similar to the way wildness and real food and natural folk have been priced out and removed from communion with ev- communion with everyone um even what we see as co- organic food in a supermarket is not the same thing as chibo paisani that even has a little bit of chemicals on it but really is has so much more vitality and love put into it and care of the soil and so on um than something that's supposedly without chemicals but is totally fucking sterile that we get in a in a packaging in plastic even if it's recycled plastic it's plastic and um in a you know we have to go into a massive warehouse of supermarket in order to get to it and we have to pay huge crazy prices for it but really um getting back to what art really is and what the artist is, the real work of the artist is of keeping that horizon fully open and working into expansiveness all the time and not giving in at any point to you know even when the when the system's clamping down on us or the tax is trying to steal our sweat equity or what little pennies we have to buy food with um the act of art the art of life is to keep having that be open keep having it be open and i'm at the stage of my life just now where you know i have been around for five decades and i have throughout those decades at all the points where there's been a choice i've made the choice to move into expansion because of that i've now got a very strong discipline a very powerful visual language that isn't tied into a genre a style a gallery system a patron or clients or even a group of clients uh, even a patronage uh, even through patreon my patrons on Patreon support me to do what exactly what I'm doing. They don't demand something of me or have an expectation of me to do something else. And they welcome what I'm doing with open arms, as it were. They welcome it and they're excited about it and they're interested in it. And they're, like me, they're just as interested in natural basket making, organic gardening, permaculture, working and living in a medieval quarter in Italy, the good life, um, natural law, uh, transformation of the world and so on. Like they're just as interested as I am in all of these things and they don't need me, they don't need me to be churning out art or limiting myself to the role that is defined as an artist. And yeah, a lot of my patrons and folk who've supported me, who've dropped off over the years, haven't kept following me because I'm not doing art in the way that they expect. I'm not keeping it NSFW, whatever the fuck that means. That is such an insane and annoying phrase. Yes, I get that if you're making pornography, you should not be showing that anywhere but in private spaces where people want to look at pornography. But Art should be everywhere, not safe for work. Like, what does it even mean? Not safe for earning money? Not safe for the workplace? Like, what workplace is it not safe for? Is it not safe for an art gallery? 
what does it mean, NSFW? It's just another one of these stupid acronyms that's been put up there or whatever the word is for the thing that's shortened. It's put up there that people just submit to because they're trying to be a good girl or a good boy. And again, it goes right back to the choices we make at a high school, at primary school, in relation to our parents, in relation to the village, to the culture, to the job title. Like we either go into these boxes and go more and more into the boxes or we go into the expansiveness and we go into more and more into the expansiveness. Similarly with choosing a style or a way of painting that you know clients and the market will agree to buy and purchase so that you can pay your rent or your mortgage, your death grip or your whatever, pay for your expensive children because people think that children cost lots of money. Mio Dio! The reality, the real life that's underneath all of that is that if you go into the expansiveness, you get to a really free place in the same way that if we like save up our sweat equity all our life in order to get a pension and start having a hobby as a pension when we're older. Yes, if we immerse ourselves really wildly and fully in it, and I know people who are doing that, and Louise de Bourgeois, the very well-known artist who got elevated and put up on a pedestal and was famous, she only began painting, I think, at the age of 47 or something. She only started making art at a much later age than the average person makes art, and that's probably why she's such a great artist. She's an amazing artist, but for most people, unless you're really immersing yourself in it, if you're just dabbling, you're never going to get to that place of freedom. You just aren't. Dabbling does not lead to freedom. Um, painting pretty pictures doesn't lead to freedom. Um, doing landscapes from photos doesn't lead to freedom. The freedom and the art and the art of life come from seeing that we are co-creators of everything that is happening around us and especially our own life path. There's nothing that isn't happening because we haven't drawn it to us. Nothing. Because there's always a choice. There's a choice at every point. And there's there's forks as well in the road that <clears throat> certain forks that once we're in them, once we're in those boxes and under those categories and submitting to those authorities once we're in that it's much more effortful to get out of it and it not just because we have to physically do things differently but because because we have to actually undo the conditioning that we've done to ourselves that's made us go in those boxes <clears throat> I do feel very blessed that I've only ever put one foot in a box <laughs> as it were and tried it out and I've only ever seen it as an experiment and, and even as a fun thing, see what will it feel like to be like other grown-ups in inverted commas and put on a, a uniform and go into work. It's like, well, it's not much fun at all. It's not very nice. Nobody talks to you on the bus or the train going into work. And then nobody talks to you in the workplace either. And the public don't like to talk to the gallery assistants. We're meant to be sort of invisible and the pay is just like pitiful, like embarrassing that barely covers the blooming travel to work and so on. Um, yeah, I used to, when I was working in the, the art gallery in the, for part of that time in London, I was working in the Hayward Gallery 
as a gallery assistant there. It's actually a really beautiful location, but of course we're inside all the time and rushing to work and rushing home from work, wanting to escape work. But something that I did do there and in the Royal Academies too, Royal Academy of Arts, and I think the Portrait Gallery maybe? No, I think just the Royal Academy I, uh, I worked at um, along, is it, I think it's Piccadilly or something in London, uh, the same one that's got maybe Harrods or something or something, can't remember the name of it. But whatever the thing was, um, in both those galleries, uh, I saved up my my minutes and got a bit few extra minutes either side of my lunch hour, or it wasn't a lunch hour, you know, they'd like try and give you 20 minutes lunch to guzzle down and give yourself indigestion and stand back up straight in the gallery again and don't speak and stand stiff and all that stuff. But I would somehow manage to wangle it by swapping um, turns with people <clears throat> I would manage to get a longer lunch break and I would take my uniform off or at least change into a, a nice skirt or something or a, a different jacket over my shirt or something and I would go and sit and get a sandwich in the cafeteria or the, the restaurant in the art gallery and get a, you know, get an employee discount and so on. But I would take it and I would just sit and and just pretend that I was in that gallery just looking at the art that day and that I was just having a nice, lovely sandwich. And I would, I think I would, I probably smoked at that time. I would go and have a wee roll up out on the balcony at the, the Hayward Gallery or I would buy a sandwich and go out and sit down on the edge of the banking of the Thames and sit there and just pretend that I was just living, enjoying the city and feel what that freedom would feel like. It never felt anything like the freedom of living in the country. So eventually I got bored of doing that. But it did give me, you know, just in that, just stepping out the box always, you know, finding a way to step out the box. It did really um, thrill me a little to do that. But I knew that I could, it would never keep me for long, that kind of a job where that was the only tiny little semblance of freedom that I had during the day. I would sit and watch people and look at, like, what was their freedom? They were in the middle of the day out wandering, but they were either running or jogging or they were walking very fast to an appointment or a, a date or whatever. And really, I wasn't seeing anyone... Very rarely saw people really enjoying their freedom, apart from, you know, weekends in the park, having picnics in parks. But even then, it would all be about hunting for a partner or um, overdoing things, you know, over-exaggeratingly, drinking too much and eating excessively and so on. So, yeah, the freedom... It wasn't just the freedom, it was freedom and service. I think that's something that it really frustrated me, that I always knew that art was meant to be in service to the world, but I didn't want it to be in service through the system. And I've, I've done a lot of jobs where I've wanted to... get into a steady a steadier wage <laughs> but a steadier routine of of giving back to the community and working with people with special needs or underprivileged people who don't people in my community when I lived in the high-rise community people who are not employed or are pretty much unemployable um people who have who like are are classed as underprivileged, who live in a, an underprivileged community. Um, 
kids who live in difficult areas. You know, I've done a lot of work with folk that I'm trying to bring life to them through doing mural projects, um, lots of mural projects, actually. Really, really enjoyed doing that with kids. And um, drawing projects, uh, like game playing and drawing projects and so on. You know, small rituals and small ways of bringing art to people and even classes teaching older folk, you know, trying to teach them about the freedom of the art, but it's really hard to do that in in the context of institutions and even in the context of an art centre. Oh, excuse that noise, that's a cat scratching at the door. And that really frustrated me that even in the context of something that's meant to be getting art to the people, it never felt like that was really coming through. And I, I really struggled that with a lot for a, a lot of years, like trying to do that, trying in lots of different ways to do that. And then trying to do it some more, like getting into my second degree that I did, uh, the postgraduate degree that was half of a master's that I, I got fed up with that halfway through too and walked out on that and did a similar thing having a pint in a bar and chatting with my friend. I think I'm just going to not do this anymore. I think I'm just going to finish and sending a text message to the the head of um, the department. But, um, yeah, the aspect of service has been really difficult because it's not just about, you know, I've never been in a place where I wanted to churn out art and sell art, but I have tried to commercialise it. I've tried to build up a business and I've tried to sell it in a way that will allow me to to gift my art to the world to put it out in the world but there's something that never worked about that and that's not and just to you know just to cut to the chase that's not because I'm a crap artist you know or because my art isn't any good um it's absolutely to do with the fact that again in order to have your work sell it really has to pander to something that isn't art but again the things that have unraveled in the last few years have really led me to comprehend on a very deep level hang on a sec the cats are rustling something that sounds really untrustworthy oh that was the kittens i just had to go and check the kittens they're Kittens are now grown-up cats and they're, they, they're always breaking stuff and getting into things and pulling things out and flinging cushions about the room and <laughs> dragging chairs across the room and stuff like that. It's kind of out of control at times, but they're just being relatively mischievous. They're nothing damaged. Anyway, um, if I can get back to the stream of thread that I was doing, it can be very distracting at times with the cats. I've got six of them and they're really too much yeah getting back to service and wanting to serve the world as an artist but knowing that what I'm ultimately talking about is our divine co-creative nature and the healing properties of art and art as a path of expansion all the different ways in which I've tried to bring that to the world including using Patreon and Ko-fi and um, PayPal and taking donations and trying to find even in that a, a steady monthly wage you know I'm 
I don't have a something you could call a steady monthly wage. I get a small amount per month that that helps me subsist, but doesn't really allow me to subsist fully. I have to do a lot of other things to be able to subsist, including bartering, swapping, accepting gifts, um, and foraging and growing my own food and um, harvesting things from trees that are abandoned nearby. Um, but the the service of like what I always wanted to be doing and what I always felt I should be doing was being an integral part of the fabric of the community. But of course, it's taken me this long to learn, although I always was getting a very strong inkling of it. Uh, it was very clear, even from early on, that the artist wasn't in the centre of the community. And although I tried all these different ways to, to weave myself in and find, not a role, but find, you know, without reinventing the wheel, just trying to find threads that I could weave into the community and how I could be in the community, I found nevertheless that wherever I lived, I really had to just be myself and it wasn't, I couldn't pick up the label or the certificate of being an artist, hand it to somebody and have them provide a role for me. It really took me making my own path and it, it did involve reinventing the wheel a lot of the time. Um, but really that started to flourish when I just found this right combination of being able to buy my own home outright living in a place that was abandoned or, or mostly abandoned, um, being a protagonist and being, even though I don't really present my work in, in the town anymore, I'm finding I'm having to be in service in a way that, and this, it's really hard to talk about this, it's really difficult to sort of explain what I'm doing. Um, but ultimately I'm bringing art back into the centre of the community and the centre of life just by existing and bringing the art of life back into the centre of the community which is a different thing than me creating paintings and then me showing paintings or selling them in the town or doing installations in the town or putting on events for the town which is what I was doing when I first came here doing pop-up events um, small festivals of art music and dance um, and like I've done in, in many different places, you know, participating with collectives of artists to bring cultural exchange and beauty and depth and meaning to the place. Um, instead, I had I found that it came to the nitty gritty of wrestling with the world, you know, finally accepting that the world is what it is and wrestling with it as that, you know, and saying, actually... I don't care if that's what you actually are. I demand a place and I am not going to accept that I have to take your label to be in that place. And ultimately that's meant even changing my name, changing the way I present in the world, moving into decentralised systems and being on the ground, like having my feet on the earth in this place and having a living relationship with all people and all things. And that's very different from having a role as an artist and doing artistic things. Um, like over the years I've been here in Guardia San Fromondi in Italy. I've had, uh, you know, the schools approach me regularly and asking me to do things. And the municipio, the 
town hall has approached me and asked me to do these things and I started off doing things like that and participating but then like just the dynamic of it just wasn't right again it's it's this thing of doing institutions it's like I can't help you I can't help you because I'm not talking that language and I can't wait make what I'm doing into that language and even though the job of an artist is to bridge that I have to bridge it in my own way because this is what art really is art isn't what you're asking me to make a little contrived version of it you know can you come down to the cantina the winery and do a, we'll do an art night where everybody copies a painting and you do this like simple painting and everybody copies you or standing on a stage and being part of a, a spe- spettacolo a, um, like a performance with music and me paint, painting on stage and doing a big um, canvas like and being treated like a dolly <laughs> essentially none of these things have ever felt like the right thing they've always felt like it's partially right it's partially bringing it's like bringing a part of art and it's it's bringing it to a theater which isn't you know people are sitting passively in the audience watching what I'm doing like it's not that I want them to be up on the stage with me but I I want them to recognize that this has a power and that we all own that power in us I'm just expressing it but I don't want them to be watching me expressing it I want them to be actually doing it them themselves and bringing art back into their own homes not into their own homes even but the heart of the home and to their own heart and I was talking with a beautiful creative friend today about yeah that I maybe said this at the start of the podcast or maybe at the start of the other podcast that I began please excuse me but I have to just carry on with this I'll tell you again if I'm telling you twice it's because it needs to be said twice the importance of doing things with our hands intuitively and spontaneously that those have been the two words that have sat with me I think from back when I was doing my first artist statement ever at the end of art school or you know three quarters of the way through art school there's what's conventionally termed as art is something that's usually very conceptual very contrived very much based in ego in the superior ego or the inferior ego but nevertheless the ego which is a separated self which is something that is this caricature that's different from our, our actual nature something that's like a satellite caricature of our real nature which is something that is infinite and powerfully vibrant vital vital and if we don't know that vitality within ourselves we're only ever going to be working with a like a small loop a small little loop that's sort of whirring around that's sort of parading as vitality parading as ingenuity and might even be big and colorful or have lots of detail in it or or such like but ultimately the art is something that it comes through the hands and it comes spontaneously it comes through working with our hands not without using our mind at all but not not with the the front lobe consciousness directing our hands or us contriving in order to make it like something that we think somebody else will want to buy or make it like something that somebody else will like even though it's not really what we want to be doing and that thing of like it not being what we really want to, to be doing the the thing about 
freeing up our hands by working spontaneously, whether it's sewing, cooking, gardening, making baskets, pottery, painting, sculpture, musician, musical instruments, whatever we're doing with our hands, the act of doing it spontaneously and freely and without any, you know, without enjoying the journey rather than trying to get to a destination, which is I am going to write a song, I'm going to play a, a music that is written on a sheet in front of me, um, I'm going to do a painting that looks like Frida Kahlo, or I'm going to um, doing a, do a painting because I know that my uh, most expensive patron uh, will really appreciate that and want to buy it because they said that they like this kind of a subject. Um, or even the way, you know, the way we contrive, like starting a painting and thinking, oh, I'm going to, if I do this, it'll look like that. If I do that, if I put a thing here, I'm going to add a thing here to make it look more like this. Instead, just like getting out of that, even that discussion, which is separate from the beingness. When we just get into the beingness, which is the fullness of our front lobe being used fully integrated with the rest of the being, including all of our sentience, including the womb, including the spine, including the vagus nerve system, including our immune system, including our breathing. When we allow the part of ourselves to work as the whole and to be bigger than the sum of the parts, we, we access the infinite and we access the kind of inspiration that's not, oh, I really like the colour of that painting, so I'm going to try and replicate it in my painting. It doesn't have the ego in it. It doesn't have the separation in it. It just has our source, which is our, our heart, our centre, not meaning necessarily the physical heart, something that's called the heart. I mean the, our centre, which to me is certainly in or around the womb, and the creative organs, the organs of creation and of, of regeneration. But I know for a fact that that's where the most energy comes from because I know that the heart, the physical organ of the heart that we call the heart is an activator of the blood, but I know that the, the energy needs to come up through the heart and be more activated, but the energy that's coming from source is coming through my ovaries and my womb and my cervix. It isn't coming from an external idea. It isn't coming from the brain. But the way it's coming up through the body and the way it's being expressed is either either coming up through throat and mouth and speaking and singing, or it's coming through my hands. And both of those things involve the energy coming up through the body, coming down from the ether, coming down from the heavens, and coming through my heart and through my arms coming through my breath, through my throat, either way the heart is activated by the breath, the energy flows down our arms through the breath, through the heart, through the activation of the blood and so on and there's this very particular circuit that is these, you know, this embrace, this embrace of the arms and this circuit and cir circuitous movement of energy not just up and down us and coming down from the heavens and up from the earth and up from Gaia Sophia but also being brought into this circuit where what, what is coming from the inside is coming out of us. And it's, you know, unless you paint with your feet or your bum or, you know, a, a paintbrush stuck in your belly button or another orifice, 
mostly we work with our hands and there is this act of working with the hands that is absolutely heart related and source related and when we're working conceptually or just from the head or in a more rigid and formal way and from previous patterns or traditions or what somebody taught us to do we're we're going first to the head and the head is then dictating not just the head but the front lobe consciousness the the superficial consciousness rather than the deeper consciousness and rather than the embodied consciousness so by definition it's bypassing source it's not coming from source the only way something can truly be art is if it comes from source through our unique imprint our unique hands our unique spontaneous moment of now in which we are divinely co-creating this thing we're co-creating perhaps with other folk or in the in the company of other folk or connected in dialogue with them but it is coming up through us and it's coming through the heart it's coming from core core heart the word for heart in french italian is the word for core and the heart and art and hearth are linked through the English. And then arte is, you know, these things are all, they're all like separated into different languages and they're all compartmentalized as labels on different things. Like the word artist, it's all done to distract us from what the real art is and what the art of life is and what, and what the, the core and source are. And the core and heart are like it's all the same thing because it's all connected and when it's all connected it's all the same thing it's not something separate and it's not something meaningless that our individual unique manifestation of spirit in this life and our unique movement of hand our unique mark that we make in the world our unique way in which we're constructing baskets um our unique way use of our voice our unique way of constructing thoughts um even the fact that we talk expressively with our hands i'm i'm using a lot of gesticulation with my hands in front of you like this real dance which in turn is for me is like expressing alongside the voice like enhancing my voice and and helping me it's it's like helping and um, embracing with my arms I'm embracing what I'm saying with my hands my hands are carrying the voice outwards you know I'm not cupping my hands around my round my mouth to make a louder voice or direct it in a certain direction but I'm using the hands to express in a way that puts the energy like making magic spells it's putting the energy out in the world it's manifesting it and transforming reality by putting my words out in the world and that is that is art it all always has to come from source and it has to come through the heart and it has to come through the hands or the mouth or whatever but it has to come you know we can be creative with our shoulder with our love making but it has to come from source and that's of course where we make life from it's where we create our own vitality and it's where we create things from. We can create things the same as things that have been created before. And we can use our hands mechanically. We can use our hands because our boss told us to make this thing in this way that 
can be mass produced that can be stamped with a brand and a label and be put commodified and put out into the world <clears throat> or we can stand under a movement or a um a certain way of doing things and keep repeating the same kind of stuff or the same kind of images or the same kind of paintings but that is never going to have the power in it or the vitality in it or the healthfulness in it that working from source and creating real art will have. And it will never be divine co-creation. By, by definition, anything that is created from separation and from rigid ways of thinking or, or prescribed ways of thinking it's not that that's all bad, that serves a purpose, but it's not art and it can't be art. The art, and again, it, that's just a word I'm using, a word which is art. I'm trying to express the meaningfulness of art as an art, what would conventionally be termed an artist, but I'm not an artist, I am art and we all are art because we have a heart and it's not just a physical organ in our body. The heart is the activated open, expansive heart, expansive breath, expansive arms and hands. It's hands that are capable and that have mastery and mastery of source, mastery of expression of source that are in the, in the it has, it's about our consciousness that has presence in this moment. And even our hands that have presence in this moment, the hands are not being guided to be kept in our pockets or kept tight in fists or only do things or only press buttons on a computer or only do things that somebody else has given us permission to do the hands that are free cannot be put in chains and cannot be tied to a computer or a desk or a job or a label or a, a limited definition of what they are the hands that are part of a, a living mind body spirit will know that even though they've been put into chains that ultimately they have every capacity and every moment to step out the chains by creating, by making and doing, and doing so spontaneously and intuitively. And again, just coming back to what the intuition is, it is our vitality and it's a knowing vitality. It's a vitality that can't be suppressed. There's something that is coming up and out of us without our forcing it and without it needing to be channeled in a certain way like it, it it comes out of us not just comes out of us naturally and <clears throat> with its own wisdom and direction but it also connects with something that's in front of us or before us um that needs us so <clears throat> like the the lined up source, the rooted source, the human with their feet planted on the earth, the natural woman, the natural man, the woman who's in her womb, who's a womb one, like this activated body that I hold and that I live in and that I'm expressing to you from. When we are in the right place and fully in our rights and we haven't had our rights alienated from us, we have awareness of our inalienable rights, which by its very consciousness allows us to stand in them, to be in them and to walk in them, 
to move in them, move in our rights and in our rightness. That activation that comes up the body and the the movement, the the um toroidal field around us that is our divine co-creative beingness. When that does come up out of us with mastery and with an art, with elegance, with beauty, it naturally moves into the world. Like our actions naturally will be the right actions in the world for the betterment of all things. That's just a fact. That's what art is meant to be. Art is not meant to be a contrived square on a piece of canvas. A snapshot of some hours that were put into a piece of work, even if there were a lot of hours, it's not meant to be that thing put in a gold frame inside a gallery that only certain people will ever see who can travel to that city and go to that gallery and afford to travel there and afford to go in the gallery at the cost of entering the gallery. Um, that art will be all around us and it will be a perfection of our unique imprint on the world. And, and again, I don't mean an imprint like a stamp, like a, a printed thing. I mean, our mark made in the world is like the, the beautiful art of our, our interior design. It's something that's so beautiful, our homes. It's something so beautiful that most of us don't have the vitality to do. And so those of us who are dedicating our life to art and not compromising, it's so, so important that we do that more so. So important that those of us who are making with our hands make more and more and make really freely and make in this beautiful improvised way, like, you know, without being in the ego about it or being neurotically fearful of doing it, it's so important that more of us do that because that really is where, it's not just where our freedom is, it's where the beauty is, it's where love is, it's where perfection is, it's where the symbiosis of all things working together is. And that's something that's been stolen from us that we've had, that we've been brainwashed into believing that that doesn't even exist, that it only exists in very clever, magical, gifted musicians. That's not true. We all have, <clears throat> we absolutely all are artists and magical co-creators. That's just a fact of life. It's a fact of the universe. Anything that tells us different is a lie. And it doesn't matter how clever and elaborate the lie is. Oh, I don't know how to paint. I've never picked up a paintbrush in my life. And oh, I could never play a musical instrument. Oh, I don't, I don't know how to sing. If you can talk, you can sing. If you can go, uh, ugh you can sing. Like the idea that we can't do things is just so ridiculous. The idea that we can't dance. Everyone can move their bodies to some degree. Most of us can move our bodies to some degree. And we can all dance. We can all sing. We can all paint. We can all make marks. That's all. We can all write. For the major part, most of us can write. You know, so we can all express ourselves. We can all express our thoughts and emotions. And it's not about all of us being masters, but it's certainly about none of us being slaves and slaves to the idea that we need to be like this horribly dry, diminished cartoon of ourselves. That is wrong. That's not right. And even if it's not really wrong, it's just, it's a very 
um, low bar to be measuring ourselves to. And unfortunately, that low bar, it also leads to, it just doesn't, doesn't lead just to us not having art in our lives. It leads to our lives not being full of art, like not being artful and us not having art, the art of our lives. It means that we don't have our uniqueness. We don't enjoy our biodiversity. And it also means that we don't enjoy our abundance, including the abundance of vitality. The abundance of our of our vitality is intimately connected to how we express ourselves. And the majority, sorry, I'm, I'm not, not the majority, all illness, all dis-ease is rooted in our inability to free up that vitality up our torso, out of our hands, out of our voice, out of our throat, out of our mind. It it's by definition about all illness and disease is about a body that's been compartmentalized, labeled and separated from itself, including most importantly, being separated from spirit and divine universal consciousness. So One living in art and following the art of one's life is absolutely measurable and visible to one who is living it. I want to make that, like, that's the thing I most want to underline here about being an artist, being a co-creator, being in divine co-creation. There's so much chat right now about what's really going on in the in the world, in the universe, in the heavens, in astrology, um, whether or not we're actually using systems that actually make any sense. And we've been told all lies about how the seasons and zodiac and the, the constellations. Um, there's a lot of chatter and controversy in every realm of politics, health. And um, there's lots of polarization of views, perspectives, there's very little panoramic view of all things which is really explaining how divinely we are co-creative. There's lots of ideas about eat like this, pray like this, work like this, um, be resistant like this, you know, be the part of the resistance like this. But there's... That too is about polemic and separation and if I was going to say what I really feel that an artist should be well first of all they shouldn't be anything ist but the real art of life and the real co-creative potential that we have as divine co-creators as divine beings in in flesh and in 3d it's very clear to me, as one who has walked this path, the way that coming back to health, coming back to vitality, coming back to fertility, coming to mastery, coming to flow, coming to abundance, coming to wealth, all of these things are completely independent. With good reason, they are independent of the system, independent of the agenda, independent of culture, independent of the art world, of even society, even 
the collective. The path is independent of all of that, of all of systems, of it's only come to me, all of this has only come to me through absolute unique path, spontaneous, intuitive creating, making things with my hands, getting barefoot, breathing fresh air, talking to the trees, working with the plants, listening to animals, giving them their space, supporting them, eating a really wide and varied diet, um, being flexible and, and being really honest about how I feel. And as I've just followed that simple discipline, it's absolutely self-evident that the world is magical, that the world is divinely in order. Even the disorder is a form of order. But the important thing is that we look towards the expansiveness of all of that and that we don't get stuck in little eddies or loopholes or tricks or traps or plans where our energy is getting siphoned off somewhere else. Um, even though really when, when we have such an excess of energy and fertile creative force, it really doesn't even matter if somebody taxes us or steals from us because there's so much more. It's just that on principle, it's better that we don't let them steal from us because there's all they're always stealing from somebody and manipulating much more somebody who doesn't have energy to give and doesn't have vitality to rest back into after they've been stolen from. Um... So yeah, this is my service to you as an artist. <laughs> this is my service to you. Is is just sharing these thoughts around, you know, where where art comes from, where it what it's really for, what it is to be an artist. Um I just want to round up by saying, um, you know, I think when I was young, I was already quite polemicised by the difficulties that were going on in my home and my split-up family and my mum moving to Canada and alcoholism, violence, sexual abuse, all kinds of mess in the community and in the institutions that I was attending, the high school that I was attending. You know, there was such a mess already. But nevertheless the the choices that I made at that time were the right choices even though I had to flounder around at the edges of things for a long time I nevertheless made the best choice that I could make at that time which was to keep the panoramic view keep the horizon wide open and keep myself oriented towards freedom but I did make a polemic choice at that time. Like I was, I was really aware that, and it, it took me a long time to unlock myself from these choices. In my inferior and my superior ego at the time, I wanted to, I chose art because from an emotional perspective, not from the reasons I've described before, but from an emotional perspective, I chose art because I wanted to be special. I knew that I was different and I wanted to be special. And... I thought the art could help me do that. 
but my idea of special when I was in my mid-teens was much more about rebelliousness and demanding a place in the world and, and grasping for it and struggling and striving for it. And that actually carried through, that choice carried through for a long time until I really realised that we're all divine co-creators, all of us. We're all co-creating all the time. And some of us are meant to be more in a position of influencing and leading than others, but absolutely not the people who are currently leading and not the people who are currently influencing. Absolutely not those. Um, and the other reason, you know, the specialness, just to finish what I was thinking there, that the specialness was definitely about not being in the banal banality of uniformity and submission that's what the specialness was it wasn't that I felt that I was so much special than more special than anyone else or that I wanted to be more special than any anyone else but I wanted to explore more fully what it was to not go down that road and not be in the in the cardboard box or the paperwork or the office or the the working inside I knew that I needed to be free and I needed to be special and different and that obviously that was <laughs> and and learn for myself but the being special and different um you know that was the only choice that I could make really was even though art was this really contrived thing and this really dry thing it was nevertheless you know the the lesser of two evils and the the only other option seemed to be going into um these prescribed paths um, and the the other reason that I made too from having grown up in relative poverty to some degree um, to parents who were struggling and striving to earn money and scrabbling around for pennies at times and struggling to put, keep a roof over our heads and to striving hard even the the contrived art world that I was seeing already, I saw that like there must be a way of, even though I had a really contrived view of it, there must be a way of doing, of not being in slavery, of not of doing less work and being able to earn mon more money for it, which was a, at, the, at the point, was a fair enough sensible choice to make, but it wasn't, you know, that too was a, an idea that stuck with me for a long time. It's amazing, you know, ideas that we, we set in motion at the po those points in our, like the point where we go out in the world from home, the point where we leave school and go out, move from country to city. Those are really important junctures, crossroads. And those decisions, like those, the formation of that idea literally took me another 30 years, more than 30 years to step out of to recognise that and to find the natural version of it. It wasn't the wrong idea. The idea was correct. But the idea of doing it through getting famous as an artist wasn't correct. You know, that wasn't going to work. And even if I had done that, even if I had had success and I had become a famous artist, and it's not that I'm completely not famous, you know, I have had my, my moments of being in the limelight, but Even the few moments I've been in the limelight, 
it was just wrong, 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 wrong. Like it wasn't right. It wasn't the right vibe. It wasn't the right feeling. It wasn't the right result. The What seemed to be a prize or a reward or a, a, a good income always had horrendous backlash on it. Like there was also always some sort of like sting in the tail or, you know, what seemed like a prize was actually a big pile of turd or whatever the thing was, you know, it was always completely not what it said it was would be. You know, even having money, the, the few times in my life I've had money, it's never been what it said it would be or what it was pertaining to be. And especially in the art world, anytime, you know, getting the sort of success of exposure or success of an important prize or funding or, you know, there's always having to... be submissive to a, an agenda, be submissive to a load of paperwork, to the tax system, to the council or the town hall who want to be seen as that they were the co-creators or the inspiration behind all this, or that they made it happen. Um, there was always a sting in the tail and always a, a really big disappointment that meant I could never really reap the rewards. And that's really important. That's a really important thing. It's always been about, to me, it's always been like what the art, what is projected onto the artist is always about how ultimately art is either infinitely expensive, but that's only when you're dead, but art should be given freely. And again, this is like, it's true that our energy in the world is so abundant and our vitality comes freely and everything is free. Everything is free. Everything that nature gives us is free and everything that we have to give to each other is also free and it can flow freely. It's only us that who's decided to put prices on it and to make coded transactions around it. And then from there, that's manipulable and that has been manipulated. But the important thing is, if we keep digging and we keep asking the questions and we keep keep inquiring in ourselves we'll get back to the creative divinity we will get back to the creative divinity and that by its nature can never be it can only ever be given free that doesn't mean that I have to labor as an artist and have people steal my paintings and take them for very little money it doesn't mean that I have to I'm obligated to gift anywhere other than is right for me in the, mo in the moment that it's right, where things are flowing most. Um, it doesn't mean that people can make demands on me from their projection of what they think an artist is and what they think an artist should be doing for them or for the community or for society or for culture. Um, and that, I think, is where the mastery comes in and also the, the divine synchrony. It's very clear when one is aligned where one is supposed to be going or doing or what gives one energy or what becomes more than the sum of the parts. It's very clear who we have to work with or collaborate with or create or co-create co with because they give us energy and we give them energy and together we create more than the sum of the parts. We create even more energy. So we're always energized when we meet each other. We're always energized when we see each other. Like 
fertility in children, the fertility of creativity is creating a third entity that is more than the sum of two people. You know, two people coming together and copulating, creating this third person. It's very like the it's the the core imprint of this triangle, the trinity of something becoming more than the sum of two parts. The two parts coming together harmoniously create more, they create a solution, like a problem becomes a solution because the two aspects that were frictional are put together in a better way and become non-frictional. So, yeah, um, my own ego as an artist has taken many years to soften and gain mastery and be grounded really in myself and not be reactionary but be always coming from source and always acting rather than reacting acting but acting in reality <laughs> being real being royal being real it's net and being sovereign um and this beautiful moment that I find myself in talking with you and co-creating with you is, yeah, part of a, a load of different areas of life that are, seem to be coming into oneness, coming into symbiosis and ease and abundance and symmetry also, like all the areas of life reflecting each other and reflecting each other beautifully, really beautifully, um, as I step into more and more into that expansiveness more into the freedom more into the panoramic and the abundant yeah I look forward to sharing more about this about what the fuck art is really about what's really for um in this series and I'm probably going to be doing a parallel series or even an interwoven series I want to speak about handmade things, making things by hand. I might even hone it down into a more specific train of thought of a series of podcasts around um, sewing and making clothes and that whole thing around the second skin. That's just it's a really fruitful and powerful um, healing space. I've got lots that I want to share around that. Anyway, either way, keep in touch with me on The Hive. I'm Clara Artista. C-L-A-R-E, Artista, on the hive, dot blog. Um, also can be reached through Essency app, E-C-E-N-C-Y app, or on Peaked. These are all gateways into the hive blockchain. Um, hive, uh, the Peaked is P-E-A-K-D. And I think it's just dot com or something. You'll find it. Anyway, all the links are on my website, com, And I really appreciate the support I'm receiving just now. I'm having support on lots of different levels that I, I've never felt so, so supported in my life. Um, at the same time, I have a very low fiat, fiat currency income. And that's not a problem, inherent problem in itself. I'm, I'm definitely very well fed and have a roof over my head. Uh, don't always have petrol in the car and I'm probably going to have to take the car off the road because I don't really have the money for 
the car tax, but then that's a whole other discussion around actually not consenting to car taxation <laughs> or to car insurance and all that nonsense. So we're reaping our um reaping our sweat equity and our right to enjoy the fruits of our labours, instead siphoning them off via electricity bills, cars, road travel and so on. But yeah, I do have a relatively very low income um, and I really appreciate gift in, in every way, including encouragement. It's very important, the folk who are encouraging me, it feels really important to get their good words. And it's one of the reasons I love the hive.blog. Um, anyway, follow me on the Hive or also on Patreon is where most people support me that are consistent um, financial supporters of my work. And that's an amazing place where I do actually have, although it's a very small income every month, it still has a huge supportive influence on my life. And I'm immensely grateful for it. Um, and yeah, keep in touch. Uh, contact me directly through my website if you like, if you're interested in this work, these ideas. I've got all sorts of stuff going on. Guardia San Fremonte is a very interesting place just now where people seem to be coming back to visit a lot more and new people buying homes in the semi-abandoned medieval quarter. And... Um, I'm quite excited about my guest guest room at the back of my studio, about having people for magical healing residencies and transformal, transformative visits. Yeah, I really, really look forward to having you, you all come and visit at some point and building the new world and living in the real world. You know, even if you just come for a visit and come and live in the real world for a while, if you're in a place where you're not feeling much connected with nature or community or the art of life yeah do do let me know if you'd like to arrange a visit um yeah it's a, a very magical retreat space must love cats <laughs> i'm sending love beautiful friends um speak soon be well and thank you for listening for this epic podcast the longest podcast i've ever done in my life love, all merit gained and all synchrony and domestic alchemy to you. Mm.